Hello and welcome back to the Can We Just Ask podcast. I'm Annie. And I'm Will. And this episode is entitled Can We Just Ask? Can Anyone Be an Activist? Yeah, this is the final live panel discussion of Series 1. We had Gina Martin, Alice A.D., Richie Brave and Alex Holmes on the panel and they had such incredible inspirational insight about the world of activism, whether everyone can be and should be an activist and how we influence the world of government and politics to make a difference in the change that we want to make. It was an incredibly interesting conversation. I felt so inspired and honoured to be a part of it and I Mm. really, really hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Yeah, we could have talked for genuinely for hours, but don't worry, we haven't. It's fine. (laughs) The episode isn't three hours long. It really, really could have been. So, yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, please do let us know. We're at Can We Just Ask on all social media accounts, including Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, And also, please do leave a rating and a review. If you haven't yet and you are enjoying what you're hearing, it really makes a huge difference. This is one of the last episodes of the season. We will be coming back in 2020 with a new season. And so the more ratings and reviews we can have, the better, because we really want to share these conversations beyond the audience that we've already got. As ever, this episode is in partnership with Tom's, who hosted it in the store, and all of the money that we made by the ticket sales went to the Mix charity. They provide essential support to under 25-year-olds, and if anything we talk about in any of the series affects you, we really do recommend you get in touch with them. But for now, should we get on with the episode? Yeah, sounds good. This is Can We Just Ask? Can Anyone Be an Activist? The only way you create change is by standing up and campaigning for those things you care for. If we hold ourselves individually to hire a cat, the world would be a better place. For me, communication is, is the key to absolutely everything. How can we all save the what world? it means to be a man or indeed a human. There's no such thing as a stupid question. The Can We Just Ask podcast starts conversations that matter. Okay, good evening everybody. <laughs> My name's Annie. And this is Will, and we are Can We Just Ask? We're really pleased to be here with you all this evening. Um, and we are here in partnership with Tom's, who we have been working with on this series of our podcast. Um, so thank you so much to Tom's for hosting us in this lovely and intimate venue this evening. I think the team are just getting themselves settled down. <laughs> so on to tonight's conversation. The whole premise of our whole series was about inspiring change and so the the reason this last conversation is entitled can anyone be an activist I guess is because we want to be as forward thinking as possible and we would like everyone listening everyone in the room everyone who might come across the podcast to have something there that's both inspirational and also educational in terms of what they can do themselves as individuals as communities in their jobs in any part of their life to actually create change so the the basis of today's conversation is to hopefully inspire some positive change and talk about the idea of activism as a whole which is why we have these four excellent panelists to our left and so we're going to start, I think, by asking you to introduce yourselves and a little bit about what you do. And also, if you can tell us what being an activist or what activism means to you. Alex, do you mind if we start with you? Sure, yeah. Uh, my name's Alex. Uh, when I was at school, I was bullied. Uh, it was racism and homophobic bullying. And age 16... I uh, kind of gave myself a job at school, called myself Student Anti-Bullying Coordinator, <laughs> and um, came up with an idea of anti-bullying ambassadors, young people whose job it was to stand up instead of standing by, and around seven years ago, managed to turn it into something that was full-time rather than just part-time, and we've trained 33,000 anti-bullying ambassadors in around 3,800 schools, and uh, it's their job to 
prevent all types of bullying and uh, be sort of peer supporters uh, that really shape attitudes and change behaviours. Wow. Very cool, the man. I just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just off the back of that, the term activism, mm. what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think for me, when I was at school, I, it wasn't until I um, was 16 that I felt I had a voice. And I think f- it, it feels really important to me now that to try and empower other people to have a voice. So mm. it's great to have a platform and... and I definitely feel like I've got that that platform, but now it's important to try and make sure that other young people can feel like they have a sense of control over what's happening to them, particularly at school where you spend 11,000 hours of your life, huge amount of time. Mm. I think sometimes we forget that young people can be activists in their very school. Uh, and uh, for me, I take that seriously with trying to, to make as many people as possible feel empowered, particularly those that perhaps have lost their voice or or are, because of an imbalance of power, are being made to feel vulnerable. Um, I think that's what the most important thing is to me. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Richard, I, nice to to wow. <laughs> I hate this stuff. Uh, yeah. My God. <laughs> um, I'm Richie Brave. I am a presenter and broadcaster. Um, with, it's funny enough, my story started out pretty similar to mm. you, like getting bullied in school. And, that, and I think I probably went a bit the other way. So rather than being an anti-bullying coordinator, I just started beating up the people bullying me. Like I became that person and like really angry. Um, and I speak a bit about this on the platform that I have, my own podcast. I've got my own podcast as well. Um, and just about some of the experiences that I've had previously. And I kind of started off just being a really loving kid. And I've always been that person who hates injustice. And if I see injustice in front of me, I feel like I need to do something about it. So my journey is kind of just personal. So I was a community worker. Um, I worked with young people from the age of 16. So you had to be 16 to start. So on my 16th <laughs> birthday, I went back and signed up. Um, and I kind of did activism through work as well. So I was a domestic abuse specialist um, running groups with men who perpetrate violence against women. So I did that for about 11 years. Um, I've done loads of things. But when it comes to activism, I guess I, to be, I don't even feel like I identify as an activist, really. I, we'll probably get to that. But um, what the word means to me is kind of somebody who sums up their life to fight for a cause, um, one cause or another, really. So people who hate to see injustice, who have that love in their heart and they want to see people's voices be amplified and reinforce the value of others. That's what an activist feels like for me. It's something that's very selfless. And you're giving yourself for other people. Right, thank you. Gina. <sighs> Richie Brave. <laughs> um, I'm Gina Martin. Uh, I'm a, a campaigner, most well known, I guess, for changing laws to make upskirting legal this year. Um, I was previously working in <laughs> advertising, which is the opposite of activism. Um, <laughs> and uh, had always been someone who cared about things. I started a kind of charity thing in advertising to do kind of free advertising for charities and stuff uh, you know went to Greece lived in Greece saved a dog from Greece always just wanted to do like small <laughs> things because I was like well that's not fair we should sort this out so always just kind of in that person and then it wasn't until I was upskirted in 2017 at a festival and found out it wasn't a sexual offence that I decided to try and change that and started a social media campaign campaign and a media campaign and then lobbied the government for 18 months and then changed the law. Um, and now I'm an author um, and I'm a speaker. I go work with kids. I go, I get kind of brought into situations to speak truth to power, I guess, in some circumstances. And I mostly try and um, make activism accessible, I guess, instead of this kind of academic, remarkable people world. 
just try and make people realise it's just about regular people who just get angry and decide they want to do something, whether that is working at a charity or that is heading up a campaign. Um, And, yeah, and I love it. And I think activism's a wonderful thing, but I think it is in danger of becoming kind of commodified as a job Mm. when actually every activist I know is a person who cares about something and just really wants to listen to people and make things better. That's what it is by dint of of the definition. So I love activism. um, But, yeah, I think we'll get onto that, like you said. But, yeah, so I'm a campaigner mostly. Thank you. Thank you. I just can't follow that. You can. <laughs> you can. You can always follow it. Um, my name is Alice Ady. I'm a documentary photographer and filmmaker. I guess my journey started after university. Um, there was this photo that some of you might um, remember of a young Syrian boy, three years old, washed up on a Greek um, shore, mm. drowned, called Island Kurdi. And um, I had basically completely looked away from the refugee crisis at this point. Um, thousands of Syrians were walking up from Greece all the way up to Germany and suddenly I saw this image and I think like most people it really kind of took my breath away and I decided to go and volunteer in Calais in the jungle and I thought I'd stay for a weekend and I was just gripped by this I'd never encountered anything like it and so this started a journey for me of volunteering after there I went to Greece to the Macedonian border to a camp called Idomeni where there were 15,000 people and I was just volunteering with a group of people cooking food in these massive vats um, and I always had a camera around my neck. I didn't ever take photos, but um, I started. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't associate myself as a photographer. And photographing in those conditions is a really tricky thing because people are living in really desperate conditions and there's an imbalance of power. But because I was there for so long, um, I really started to develop these personal relationships. And uh, over months, I started to document this. So for three years, basically, I dedicated myself to documenting forced migration, the refugee crisis in Europe and the Middle East. And as I learned more about migration, um, I came to understand that because of climate change, we're going to see the biggest mass migration ever in history. And so having never cared about climate change, totally thinking that climate change was about the environment, about rising sea levels, you know, I I associated it with recycling, which I'm terrible at and still am, Um, biology class, it it just wasn't me. Um, And when I realised that actually climate change is predominantly a social justice issue, that's when it really started to hit home. And so since I've been documenting environmental issues on the front lines of climate change and then back home doing activism, um, both with Help Refugees, but also Extinction Rebellion more recently. And you thought you weren't going to be she able to... She could follow that. <laughs> Jesus. Our eyebrows were up here. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Amazing. I, I feel like I have a zillion questions just off the back of that. Um, so it's hard to know where to start. But I think we won't always go down the line. But for, for one more time, I just I want to do it for one more question. Because uh, if you ever mentioned uh, in terms of what activism is, it's about sort of fighting injustices in front of you. And it... And it it might not always be an easy journey to do that, to stand up and fight something that you see as, as potentially uh, unjust or um, wrong. So framed maybe through each of your journeys or the, the, the things that you've fought for, I just want to know what, what challenges that y- you've faced, whether you still face those challenges and, and how you sort of overcome those to actually stand up for the thing that you want to stand up for. So Alex, if we start sure. with <laughs> oh my god, Richie gets all his answers from the web. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> it was cereal, right? I'm just saying. There you go. Amazing. Um, <laughs> challenges. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges I faced was this idea that bullying was um, character building or it was a normal part of, of growing up. Um, and to some extent, that still exists, but. 
I think we've we've come a long way as society in terms of challenging maybe the stigma stigma around mental health and understanding. I don't know what uh, you mean by <laughs> <laughs> three strikes and you're out, Richard. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Let me just turn it on. Yeah, yeah. She's having a good time on her own. <laughs> does, does, does she usually do this? Or? No, this no, is the, no, first, no, time. the first time. She's yeah. an activist. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Just wanted to be involved. Yeah. <laughs> that is what we're saying tonight. Just trying to get everyone involved in activism. Yeah. Right? Doing it. Um, so I would say definitely uh, there's been a lot of progress made around the stigma, stigma of mental health. And um, perhaps there is more progress being made around the link between bullying and poor mental health. But there is still that sort of perception that um, bullying makes you stronger. But we, we know that actually you know it forces you to survive rather than thrive i think so uh it is there's still a little bit of that sense of actually everyone goes through it and that doesn't really mean that it's acceptable and when we've done uh, surveys with like yougov we found that like 69 percent of the population say they were bullied at school i mean that's a huge issue right under our noses and i think we can do something more about it but perhaps that word bullying doesn't quite have the same sort of gravity that maybe um, you know mental health carries b- behind it. So uh, there is still that challenge of people taking it seriously. Um, but I think there's been a lot of progress, uh, and, and most people know now that uh, it's not a normal part of growing up. It happens, but it shouldn't. Mm. And, through, and through your experience of that, uh, is the education system now taking it more seriously? Do you think through the work that you do, mm. especially? I think we'd love to see more, particularly from this government. Um, in terms of uh, you know making it compulsory, there's some things that we're campaigning on. For example, it sounds stupid, but you don't even it's not even compulsory for schools to record bullying incidents. Now, of mm, course, most wow. do; it's good practice, but it's not actually written as something that's statutory. Um, and they're very hands off. So w- we would like to see them say that actually every school should have a student-led uh, anti-bullying prevention program, rather than just a piece of paper which is a you know, a couple of words that doesn't really mean anything to children because it wasn't written by children and young people. Um, so I, th- I would definitely like to see more leadership from government because they absolutely have the power to um, impact, you know, better behaviour. They just need to say to schools, this is what good practice looks like. Here's here's the toolkit. Um, but there's not that leadership, mm. I would say, <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Watch this space. Government might be a different question entirely. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> uh, Richie. Hey Siri, what is acting? <laughs> um, the challenges. A lot of the stuff I've done has been like my content has been very much online. Um, I'd say some of the biggest obstacles is just. Can you swear? Yeah. yeah. Fucking assholes. Yeah. Like genuinely, like especially racism. I'm black in it. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but like kind of that. A lot of the stuff that I talk about is about racism. I talk about identity, sexuality, gender identity, you name it, I talk about it. And I think what I've experienced the most is um, trolls and oh, people yeah. sending, sent, I've had emails and letters sent to my workplace, people trying to get me sacked. The worst thing I got told was, I'm going to dig up your dead grandmother and rape her. I had, you know, 4chan? Have you heard of 4chan before? They did a thread on me with about 300 people. We're going to kill this black monkey when we see him, all of this kind of stuff. So I think like the biggest challenge I've got is, you know, when you're sticking your head above that pulpit and you're doing the things you have to do and you're saying the things that need to be said, I don't think people realise how much of a target you become. Mm -hmm. And when you're out in public, for every person who stops me and hugs me and and says to me, I think you're amazing or something along those lines, you're still worried about those people who 
tell you that they want to kill you and those death threats. And I'm very much, I said this earlier on, I'm very much a South London guy and I mean through and through. So I can definitely take care of myself, but I think it's about what that could turn into. Yeah. And yeah. with activism, that, that pretty part that you see online is great. And that gritty part when you're having those conversations, that's great as well. But I don't think people understand that sometimes getting involved in this stuff for a lot of people is risking your life. Mm. Yes, yeah. yeah. You know, and you don't know who has taken a disliking to you, and you don't know when you walk into a room who doesn't like you. You don't know. So there's a danger for that. And me as a man, I can say one thing, but I feel like for women, it's probably doubly hard. Mm. You know, so it's, it's the biggest challenge for me is dickheads. That's what I'm trying to say. It's a <laughs> long way of saying dickheads. Yeah. Lots Hell of yeah. them. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, probably come on, we'll probably come on to that in terms of how, how we can un- overcome the dickheads. Yeah, at yeah, some yeah, point, yeah, yeah. That's a great subject. It's a whole new podcast. We, I think we will come on to that. Cool. Uh, I'm ready. Oh, that. Mate, but if so we, yeah. <laughs> um, challenges for me, probably mine, my arena was mostly politics for the last two years, which is somewhere that I didn't belong really at all. Uh, I'm not a politician. And I found that really difficult to be in those environments because the, they didn't think much of me and they kind of uh, uh, underestimated me, I guess, but also undermined me and thought I was kind of this young, loud girl who couldn't really do anything. Um, we changed a in the end, so that's fine. But... <laughs> the, the I really struggled with just how do you make someone care about something that doesn't affect them? Mm. Like, we have this massive problem where people only care about things when it affects them. We see this with language all the time, with gender inequality, where we have, like, I constantly get men and, and, and young boys and people come up to me and they're lovely and they're like, thank you for the work. I really care about it because I have, I have a sister. Mm. And you're like care about it because it's happening to a person mm. not because of the proximity of a woman mm. to you you don't have to care about it just because you have a sister or a mother but just care about it because it's happening to people um, and we get a lot of this stuff with race conversations and all kinds of things people really don't care about things unless they affect them in some way so as an activist or a campaigner or whatever trying to have those conversations and make something valuable to someone so making upskirting a, va- a valuable conversation to politicians who had no idea what it was don't know how social media works didn't even know what was happening and didn't really care took two years there was six months of conversations of explaining why a picture of my genitals taken on consensually is difficult, different than me being in the background of a photo in Oxford Circus. Those conversations were happening. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really hard to try and educate people on things that they just doesn't affect them because they, they're not going to try and break down a system that they benefit from every day. If it doesn't mm-hmm. affect them, they don't care. Was it persistence? Persistence and also getting people on side that they respect and are an authority to them and that they're either scared of. So like legal professionals, before we went to the government, we had all the best legal professionals in the UK. Mm. And so when we went into the government, it was like, well, look, all of these people who know who you would have gone to anyway to change law are already right. signed off the solution. So there's a power so dynamic just, there almost. Yes. Yeah. And it's strategy. But it's just it's, you know, that meme, which is like, I don't know how to explain to you that you, you should care about the people. That's what I struggle with the most in activism is that people won't care unless it affects them. Yeah. Yeah. I really relate to that. And and I guess my activism, I don't really answer what that is, but for me, that's storytelling. And um, how can I tell stories and take images and make films that make people care? So Mm. this, for me, started when I was doing the refugee crisis. This was a time when, I mean you know attitudes to immigrants are only deteriorating but then David Cameron was describing swarms of migrants coming to the UK you know attitudes were really poor how could I take images that humanize the people that are caught up in these huge kind of political issues and who are just numbers and statistics so I had that with uh, the refugee crisis and then as I've moved into environmental issues 
how do I get people to care about climate change? Because right now in London, we don't feel it. We look around. Yes, it's, you know, it's cold. It gets hot. There are different weather patterns, but it's not affecting us necessarily yet. We talk about climate change as if it's something that's going to happen into the future, but everywhere around the world, people are already suffering. Um, and what I've learned from traveling to the front line, so an island in the Pacific called Kiribati, which is um, at risk of rising sea levels. In fact, it's going to be one of the first countries to... Um, go under, so to speak, uh, to Somaliland, where there was a drought and famine in 2017, affecting 18 million people. Um, we photographed one community who had survived the drought. <laughs> um, most re recently to Borneo, uh, to document our non-human orangutan friends. But um, in all these stories, you know, what we learned was humans are absolutely the ones suffering right now already, and it's those who've done the least to impact climate change through suffering the most. It's a, it's a social justice issue. And for me, I think understanding that as a human problem uh, is what is most powerful in terms of getting people to, to care about this. And I, you know, I come back from these trips and I'm terrified and I'm worried, how can I impress upon people the urgency of what we're talking about? And that's the biggest challenge because we're desensitized. We're desensitized to seeing the same images of refugees arriving um, on those boats. We're desensitized to another wildfire or another storm. You know, how do you get people to emotionally connect? That's the biggest challenge. Mm. Is... Is that then a danger where we, where people feel overwhelmed into inaction? Like, are, are we in danger of if if all these problems exist? How do we uh, educate people or, or uh, allow people to get beyond the fear of not being able to make a difference or feeling helpless? I totally feel paralysed by it. I think the answer that I've had to that fear, that paralysis, is just to take action, whatever yeah. that means. And that, for me, has been um, doing the work I do, but also joining pro protests with Extinction Rebellion, only because I don't know what else to do. You know, I feel, feel really, really desperate. Um, and so... Movements like Extinction Rebellion are exciting. They're extremely flawed, but um, that has helped me. You know, it, that action, is a version of activism. Action is the cure for fear, I think, with these things. And it can be as small as, like, educating yourself yeah. like we sit at these events and we listen to people right and we learn from people all the time and I get questions a lot about my work and it's I've learned everything I know from other people who have educated me from following yeah. non-binary people from following trans people following black people from listening to other people's experiences so like the action can be educating yourself you know like you've got to this place you're oh, you're doing amazing work you're flying around you're telling these stories but I guess that started from you learning about this story climate change. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but it started from you learning and reading about it right so action can literally be as small as getting out of your bubble on social media and educating yourself on issues and learning and going to things and listening to conversations like you're doing now. I think what can't be overlooked is privilege when we're having this conversation. Yes. So for some people, when it comes to activism, you don't have a choice. That's about survival. Mm. And that's how I got involved. I looked at my community around me and looked what was happening and some of the experiences that I had and losing people I love and seeing people that I love in horrible positions. And I don't feel like I had a choice. That you you there's that helplessness that you're speaking about and i think that makes sense but sometimes it's like in order for me to survive i need to change what i'm in right now and i need to change it not just for me but for other people so for me it didn't feel like a choice it happened very organically and it just felt like survival I, you're thrown into this environment and you're thrown into this identity that you don't have a choice around. Very similar to race and sexuality, like you were speaking mm. about. When it comes to identity, sometimes you don't have that choice. You're just born who you are. And the world doesn't understand that. And in order for you to survive and for people like you to survive, you feel like you don't have any choice but to do something about it. Mm. And not everyone can. 
and not everyone feels able to and not everyone feels I don't even like the word brave even though I'm Richie Brave but, <laughs> but yeah, it's a reminder <laughs> but no in that sense like because sometimes we can get on to people who don't stand up who don't speak yeah. but mm. actually when it comes to self-care and when it comes to survival for some people they can't do that yeah. mm. and that's why people like maybe myself I don't know people on the panel exist because it's like I, I know that you don't feel able or you don't feel strong enough right now or you are not in a place where you're able to do that but you know what I'm going to do it for us yes mm. yes exactly if we were going to give advice to the people I mean so people without a platform people without the bravery to speak up people without the, the network so the, the community to make a difference but they feel like they want to make a difference what advice can you give to those people like what are the steps that they can take because there are people like like you amazing people here like standing up for people who maybe can't do it but the people who want to but they can't like what can they do? Is it education? Educate I, themselves? My first thing with anyone who asks me this, and I might be stepping out of line saying this, but it's literally like, you have a phone, you're on social media, like just go and learn about other people's lives. Yeah. Like look at your social media. Are you following like probably 85% of people who look exactly like you and have the same experience as you? Probably. So like go out there and learn about other people because none of that work can start unless you actually understand the world. And actually most of the people like around me and me up until I guess you know two years ago my entire life I don't really understand the world I was just in like a bubble of what my experience was so mm. I was never going to be able to get started on this work or doing this work until I actually understood what people are living through and was an empathetic person and learned stuff so I guess just like broadening your understanding of what's going on through your phone through your resources are you reading books from people who don't look and sound like you are you listening to podcasts from people who don't look and sound like you I think that's just a good place to start generally mm. I don't know if anyone agrees with that oh I agree Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> <Sick>. <laughs> I think it might be a good, I think we could probably talk about this Maybe, yeah. uh, all evening between um, us sitting here, but the reason that we're here is to get everyone involved in the conversation. So are there any hands to start us off in the audience? Um, yeah, so this is kind of going off what Alice was saying. It's quite specific, I think, to climate change. And you, was, you started to talk about um, feeling <coughs> paralyzed and like what, what you would would do to like I guess make a, a difference like what would you say to just the average person like what can we do because it is very scary and what would you suggest like what what types of things to help I was just thinking when Gina was speaking I think you know part of activism is um having really difficult conversations just with people in your life whether it's family or your friends I find particularly since my involvement with Extinction Rebellion a lot of my activism or whatever you want to call it is having those conversations with friends um, and particularly when it comes to climate change it's so big it's so overwhelming emotions run so high um, that has been a really really important part of my work in terms of day-to-day I think what we always come back to with climate change is like we just need to consume less we need to consume more consciously I think activism can also be like uh, and again I know that this is a privilege and not everyone has access to a variety but in terms of your diet you know activism can be three times a day not eating meat for example um yeah, <laughs> mm, yeah. it's it's hard but i for me um getting out on the street has been uh, yeah an antidote yeah lobby your government write to your government like no one writes to the government <laughs> changing anymore. the law is also a good well, so uh, I, I wanted to talk about the, the governmental side because we've got a few people who might know a little bit about that i guess and um, because that seems even more overwhelming to, to me and it also so I would think that this is n- never going to make a difference and I guess like you're living proof that it can make a difference and, and you've worked with schools and, and government what what are the steps to working with government to create change 
Because we don't, surely we don't always want to be against each other. It's about no, you have to together. work together if you're going to change things. Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> Every single campaign, especially a political campaign or like a governmental campaign, is different. They're like fingerprints. Um, with the climate change issue, this is a very abstract, broad-reaching umbrella issue that is everyone is going to be dealing with. So I think, and I might be wrong here, but I think keep just keeping it on the agenda and not shutting up about something is kind of the first step so whether that is writing to your government whether that is you know like there's amazing things like care to have who i did my petition with they have petition functionalities where like if you write a letter so like you're educated on this if you wrote a letter and then you get anyone to sign the petition anyone who clicks sign it automatically sends a letter to your mp well, i did that and they got eight thousand letters there's only 650 mps and they couldn't move for letters like why aren't we doing that why aren't we setting them up every two weeks so they're just receiving emails and letters every single day it just keeps it on the agenda for climate change, I think that's probably makes sense. But for individual campaigns, it, we could sit here for three hours and talk about how to change things because it, it, it's different for every single campaign. Right. Um, but I think the most important thing is the person that goes into the, that space is the best place to tell that story, I would say. Right. And Alex, when, yeah. when do you, I guess through the diner or you work with mm. the government specifically, do, is, is that an easy process? And I guess because you're an established award, especially with mm. what you do, but if as an individual, would that would how would you find that? Yeah, so um, I, I received the Diana Award when I think I was 16 for for starting the peer support program, uh, and then I was I was able to really just test out my ideas on, on the world and in lots of schools, and then bring that example. It was actually to Ed Balls uh, when it was a Labour government, and young people and myself came in and presented, and we did manage to persuade him but that took I think I sent so many emails to civil servants about <laughs> yeah. we really like to come in and then eventually they were like okay come in uh, and then um, yeah and we did you know and that was good and to, to Gina's point about actually don't if, if something's a problem you do have to constantly put it on on the radar and we it, it sounds it sounds stupid actually but sometimes we will release the same research every year because actually mm. bullying is not going away. Yeah. And it will constantly, therefore, become a new story. And we'll be able to talk about it. And then ministers will have to respond to the stats about what's going on in their schools. And hopefully they will think, oh, well, we need to continue investing in, in the Diana Awards programme. I mean, we would like to one day for them to invest more than, than they do. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, you know, they're a they good point. And I, and I think... For, for me, something that has absolutely still to this day is, is the most important thing to me is, is listening to, to young people that are living and breathing. Mm. It was probably a young person called Tom who um, was at school in Bedford, who was, I was behind the camera filming his story, and he was talking about how he was gay and he was challenging um, homophobic bullying. And that was actually a really good reminder to me to think, well, he's, you know, he's 14 and he's, he's doing it. And I probably need to be more visible myself as a 30 year old who is gay and probably has not, you know, been as open and how important that was. So I think we can learn a lot of lessons from young people. And for, you know, for me, Tom was a, a really good catalyst for me to be much more open about my sexuality and, and how that affects me because young people are doing it. They're, they're living and breathing it. They're challenging some of those sort of harmful behaviours in their schools. And I think we can learn a lot from, from young people, particularly when we give them a voice and, and support them. Mm. I've got a question um, Richie and Alice you both touched on something in a slightly different way um, but Richie you said about being kind of by speaking out you're putting yourself in the firing line mm. and Alice yours was more of a passing comment about flying right and being accused of being hypocritical um, such an important part of your work is using your skill set to amplify voices of people ca that can't speak for themselves and to showcase these issues and try and bring them closer to home. But 
by being an activist or a campaigner or just speaking up for something you believe with believe in you're sort of putting yourself in the firing line and in terms of inspiring people to stand up for things that that they believe in, I think that's something that can be quite daunting. Is there a way that collectively we can overcome that um, rather than sort of digging into individual people for what they're not doing and, and kind of celebrating and showcasing what people are doing? I, for me, it's the beauty of social media. So like finding your tribe, I don't think I would have been able to do all the things that I've done up until this point without finding people who not even have the same, have the same mindset, maybe don't believe in the same things, but have the same mindset you know, and who have a belief in humanity and feel like things should change. And I don't think that just stops at campaigning or activism, that extends to each other. Mm -hmm. So when you're having a hard day and when shit gets real, you know, and your inbox is blowing up with death threats or something along those lines, you've got people, I mean, for me, it's people on Twitter, you know, that I found and they'll jump in my DMs, are you all right? Here's my number, give me a call. Do you want to meet up? Do you want to have something to eat? Or, you know, friends that I have in day-to-day -day life. I think, you know, and we keep talking, I've heard it often, finding your tribe, but there's something so important about that because this self-care side of things is really real. And, you know, I'll urge anyone, if you are planning to go into activism, campaigning or speaking up, it's really important that you have a support network because you cannot do this on your own. The impact on your mental health can be huge. Honestly, mm. people go under. So I guess that is my long way of saying you know, it's really important to have people around you that love you and have a love for the things that you care about. Mm. My, ne my life is never at risk, so I can't, you know, compare my situation to that. But what I have spoken about publicly is this debate around hypocrisy. I think in environmentalism, there's so much finger pointing, you know, you're not perfect, you're not, you still fly, you do this, you're not vegan. And I think, you know, I want to have a very inclusive, diverse movement, which includes everyone, even if you're still flying, you know, you don't have to be vegan, zero waste to uh, feel invested in asking our government to do more about climate change. And I think what's paralyzed the environmental movement or every environmental movement is, you know, people who have kind of social currency, whether they're celebrities or actors, they don't want to talk about, they don't want to align themselves with environmentalism because they know they're going to be called out. You know, Emma Thompson joined um, the Extinction Rebellion protest in, in April and she just got slated. Um, and people are terrified about speaking out and I just really want to get past this hypocrisy thing. Um, what were you saying earlier about pointing up rather than at each other? We, you know, ultimately this is... Punch yes, up, we can yeah. all... Yeah, punch up. That's such a good point. There's yeah. like... There is stuff we can do in our individual lives, but really this is about um, corporations and government action. This is about systemic change. So let's stop pointing the fingers at each other and let's direct our anger at the oil companies that have known about this issue since the 70s, who themselves did the science, who themselves have risen oil rigs because they know that there are rising sea levels. Um, I just think, you know, we talk about activism and how emotionally draining it is. Let's use <laughs> that energy um, and, and, and use it and point it in the right direction. Mm. Yeah. But why, so why do you think those, those people are shouting hypocrisy? Why do you think those people are being dickheads? Why do you think those people are... It makes are you feel better about yourself when you... I get this all the time. It makes you feel better about yourself when you say, okay, well, you're doing that wrong because it makes you feel like, well, I know I'm not doing a lot, but at least I can point out and say that you're mm. doing something wrong. It, we, we, we know we all need to be doing more. And I think we all feel kind of trapped in a system where we're like, well, I should be doing more, but I'm not because it's far more comfortable for me to not do it, especially if you're a privileged person. And so there's a real, like, if someone stands for something, then they have to stand for literally everything everything 
And I think it makes ourselves, it placates our kind of guilt, I think, if we point the finger at other people. But it's just so unhelpful. And mm. I think that, you see that in children. So you know, like, self-soothing from a psych- psychology perspective, like, children learn to self-soothe, right? So when you tell a child off, quite often what they do is, but she, but he, you know, when they feel bad, mm. they start yeah, pointing yeah, the finger. Yeah. <laughs> and I know it sounds funny, True. but actually adults, we're grown children. Mm, yeah. So from a psychology perspective, you still have that coping mechanism, but it develops in a different way. So rather than facing yourself and, you know, that cognitive dissonance that people don't like and that uncomfortable space to be in, it's very easy to point the finger because you don't have to deal with the self. Yes. Mm. So like it comes from something and we laugh about it, but actually it's something that we learn in childhood and then it's something that's projected as an adult. It's a coping mechanism. Me, I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm not perfect, but let's get to the conversation we're having. Because mm. quite often it's easy to derail because once I derail it, I don't need to take any responsibility. Yeah. It's fine. Mm. We're focused on you now. I'm like, okay, you're right. I do do this. Now what do you do? Mm. Let's talk about it together. Yeah. And it's opening that conversation. Doing that work so you can get to a place where you can go, yeah, okay, I'm wrong as well. Yeah, and you can look absolutely. inside. You definitely see that in bullying. Like, and for, for children, we know that it's behaviour. It's, you know, you're not a bully um, just because you've, you've treated someone poorly and, and, and we don't want that label to stick. Mm. But similarly, you find that online with the whole sort of cancel culture, I think. It's very easy for one person to forget to be as inclusive as they should. Or or perhaps in the past, they have made some mistakes. And we need to be much more uh, compassionate to, towards that. Because actually, I would ra- much rather someone said, you know, I wasn't always perfect self you know or, or, or fantastically behaved uh, but I've learned and, and I'm still learning and, I, and that's far more refreshing than, than um, you know but, but for, for a lot of people they're, they're unforgiving particularly online and uh, I always find it a little bit upsetting where perhaps some influencers maybe have in the past had some tweets that have not always been as uh, inclusive as they should be but that should be left in the, in, in the past and perhaps they've changed and they're, they're, they're sort of a better person in that respect, but you often see they're not able to get past that. And, and that's what frustrates me, I suppose, about social media a bit because it's very unforgiving. Mm. And I think with environmentalism, this happens so much. I mean, we dis, you know, we dismiss environmentalists, I think, as a way, as you said, to distance ourselves from the reality um, and somehow say that we're different from those activists who are really just um, acting out of fear. Um, and there's this one writer, and I just love what he's written because it just shows how much we exclude so many people from this conversation when really it should be the opposite. So he says, and I'm going to get it wrong, but it's something like, um, if you're middle class, you're a champagne socialist. If you're working class, it's politics of envy. If you wear leather shoes, you're a hypocrite. If you don't, you're a hippie. (laughs) Who is allowed to speak about this? Mm. And the lengths that we go to to exclude people from this conversation um, is just exceptional and it's really just trying to like distance ourselves from the moral responsibility we all have to work together and and do something about this but then sometimes the media have to find something to say that's what they you know they have so much of our narrative is is pushed by the media like so much of how we feel about movements comes from the media like you look at the extinction rebellion train uh protest that was voted to get down by most of the movement it was like 80 percent of the movement right they said no i don't think this is a good idea let's not go to an outer city um a part of London where people are just trying to go to their nine to fives who aren't in the most privileged part of London anyway and make their lives difficult. This isn't about that. And all the media picks it up as like, oh, extinction rebellion are out of touch or it's all. And like, you have to get your sources from diverse places. Don't go on the metro and read the headline and go, oh, well, that's what it is then. Actually do your own research. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to spin around and see if there's any questions in the room. So I think this ties into a couple of things, but particularly 
um, what Richie was saying about um, abuse. So we've just had particularly female MPs deciding not to stand again for Parliament. And I just wondered whether you thought that politicians can be activists and actually whether any of you would consider standing for Parliament and making changes from within. Ooh. Good question. Wow. Oh, he no. Take that. <laughs> <laughs> politicians can... Do you know what? Yeah, lots of people have got lots of opinions about her. But my auntie, you know, not my real auntie, but collective auntie Diane Abbott, you know what I mean? She did. <laughs> Regardless of what your viewpoint, and I feel like the media has run with certain narratives around her yes, as well. Have. But when you, see, what you, when you see what she did when she came in and the changes that she made and seeing a black woman in the position oh that God. she was in at the time she was in there and what she had to do to cut her teeth and stand in the space that she deserved. And she deserved that. She didn't just come from nowhere. She studied hard, she worked hard and she got to where she needed to be. So I, in short, I feel like for me, Diane Abbott is, is was an activist and yes. a politician at the same time. For me, would I get involved in politics? I feel like I'm mildly involved, like on the outside, but um, I don't know if I am going to be transparent. I don't know if I'd be able to sign up to a political party wholeheartedly and believe 100% in what they do, mm. you know? So, and for me, I'm very much community-based and outside of politics. But my mum today told me I should get involved. So who knows? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't. For Can me I personally, just jump I off know. on that for you? Because Richie just said so much great stuff. Like firstly, Dan Abbott, love her. I, I felt out of place in Parliament and like it was the hardest place I've ever been. I can't imagine what was like, that was like for her. She gets 50% of all the abuse Labour get. Like, and again, talking about punching up, like if you're going to have a, if you want to say something about Dan Abbott, take those words and take it to one of the white guys in suits that are putting down policies that are hurting LGBTQIA people. Like punch up to the people who are doing the things, not to someone who has punched uh, down 40 barriers to get to where they are mm -hmm. and is still doing a good job. Um, yeah, like she's amazing. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in, yeah. in mm -hmm. America, yeah. she's an activist. She's a regular working class person. She is in the system, the institution, but she is going against it by dint of how she does her job. I, I think politics having been in parliament for a long time i think it's incredibly easy to get institutionalized by it i think it's very very difficult and i've seen mps try to go outside the processes but they are so rigid and it is such a game of okay well i want to put this bill down but if i put this down then that means that person who was meant to do that thing for me three weeks ago won't do it so that person needs to say they'll do it instead of me doing it everything becomes completely strategic and therefore I think it would be very hard to see through the bullshit and, and have moral clarity in that place. Right. So I would love to say, like I've been asked to stand a bunch of times and I, and I understand why women aren't because I, having been in that place, it's very difficult to exist mm. there. I would love to say that I would stand, but then I think Richie's right. I think you can make just as much change in communities in, with community-based work mm. and you're not shackled um, as you can in politics. I think, I think we need more good people there, but I think you can just do the same amount of work outside. There's a great organisation that exists called Glitch, Fix yes, the Glitch. Shay. And they do, Shay, yeah, Shay does like online self-defence, basically, courses that help, in particular, women um, sort of protect themselves. But it's crazy that that needs to, needs to exist. Mm. Um, I think, coming back to Gina's point around, I, I, sometimes people ask me, you know, would you ever be interested? But I kind of feel like I haven't learnt enough about the world to be to be a politician. Although some manage have to have the politician. Well, <laughs> have they? I mean, I'm joking, I'm joking. Yeah, you have to be, you want, I'd want to be an expert on everything. I'd want to 
know and you know be able to yeah, feel. but i think can i just jump yes. in and say i think you need to not i think you oh, need really? to have the moral clarity okay. to be able to go in there and shake it up because i think if you suddenly know and understand the system you just become entrenched in it mm. i think mm. you going in there as a human is what would shake things up mm. whereas you going in there as a politician then you're just a politician I think you'd be amazing. I would vote for you. Yeah. I would vote for you. Are we in danger of, of, of like people like you who are going to create tangible change not going in there because there's too much red tape? And then and if we don't create change from within, are we actually going to create yeah. change from outside? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think we are. But I think people can do it from the outside. I, that's only that's biased because I've done it. But I've seen brilliant people going into Parliament and changing things on. You know, my friend Vicky, who went in and changed laws around rental houses and the rights around homeowners and stuff. She's not in the media because she didn't use the public to kind of. Um, pressurise the government like I did but she's done it there's people that are doing it all the time we're just not hearing about them and they're regular people but the, of course we don't platform those stories because politicians don't want us to hear about regular people going in all the time and changing laws because then we'd all be doing it mm. there are people doing it all the time and I think we are in danger of not people not wanting to go into politics who are working class who are from different backgrounds etc etc but I also like totally totally believe in the ability for people to do that um, by going in and shaking up the system instead of mm. starting working there mm-hmm. but, but probably also the best people who could be politicians those that have lived lives and but at the same time the media would probably find out or you know yes. chase you know pers- persistently chase them to try and expose them or on mm. maybe when they didn't treat somebody right when they were nine years old or something like that and you know yeah. think, I think I well yeah I didn't always you know treat people how I would like to be treated when mm. I was at school you know that's something that I'm, I'm happy to, to admit and I think there's a lot of pressure of people going in actually to um, to, to could potentially be be sort of yeah exposed for something that some mistake that they made when they were they were much younger and not as wiser but uh, there's a lot of pressure I think and that's maybe stopping other people from, from going forward for that mm. and then I guess that comes down to us um, right and us collectively on a larger scale of finding that forgiveness and letting people mm. grow right and not holding people to their worst action but actually seeing what they're there to do and what they stand for now mm. and, and letting that be enough mm. yeah and taking responsibility as well you know mm-hmm. so you know when you spoke about like tweets resurfacing and yeah. things resurfacing there is an element of responsibility that comes with having a platform and being an activist or even being a celeb whatever someone with a platform who speaks about issues and actually if something rears its head and you have said something that you shouldn't have said that directly affects people because actually a lot of the things that we're talking about here they induce trauma in people they can affect people's mental health people can die as a result people experience oppression actually if something comes up and you've said something that you shouldn't have said it's about how you apologize and address that and I think sometimes and th- people say, oh, I said that 10 years ago. It doesn't matter. Actually, it does. You said it. Speak about your journey. Mm. Allow people to understand what has changed for you. Why do you view things different? You know, it, it, to remove the ego from it and say, yes. actually, I said something that someone probably read, laid down in their bed and felt even shitter than they did where they laid down last night. Mm. And I want to address that. There's a responsibility that comes with it. I think sometimes we you know people can just put it back to the past and it's down to the past but actually there's a responsibility that you have to address that so other people can learn from your journey Mm, and you can be accountable for what you've done as well you know there's that wonderful phrase which is like atonement not apology or something and it's like instead of just going yes okay yeah i said that and i'm sorry it's like actually change the behavior and show like you say i said this because i did that because now i do this because you know Yeah, yeah totally should we head back into the audience? There's definitely oh, yeah, another couple of hands. Um, do you not think that there's a risk in the kind of way that we demonise politicians that we're doing what people who are standing up as activists 
kind of a suffering with being once you put your head above the parapet you then get kind of demonized or you get criticized for what you're doing and actually a lot of politicians are standing up and trying to do stuff mm. and sometimes we need to recognize that rather than focus on the fact they can't do everything yeah i agree i've met a lot of politicians who are doing great stuff who helped me with the campaign but i don't think that's very clear for people um i don't think politicians are coming across as very human for people whether that's their fault or whether that's the system or whatever so I understand both sides I understand the complete lack of trust and I also understand that there are great politicians in there who are kind of doing great work but we're not hearing about them and I think the media has a lot to answer for for how our relationship is with politicians as well um but I, I think you're right I think we have to probably give space to the people who are doing things right and be holding people accountable who aren't but we don't have clarity on it with individuals that's the problem it's only really when you work with them day to day in rooms looking into their eyes having conversations that you start to realize okay there's people in there who are doing really good things but i think the media is kind of controlling a lot of that narrative on how we view politicians and there isn't a lot of trust there and that kind of needs change and i don't know what the answer to that is really you know it's hard i mean everything especially now everything feels so polarized yeah like this it feels like you're in one of two camps mostly like I think you're right. It is, it's the media. It's the way people speak about things. It's, it's the fact that we can't sit in a room and, and look politicians in an eye. In the eye, we we, have, we get our news through the media. We get our news through the the lens of where we consume it. That means that that's the way that we form our opinions. I think. Mm. Yeah, and I think also you need to contextualize the conversations you're having. You know, like I feel like I, I think what you've raised is quite a good point. But when people talk about politicians, it's not always all politicians people are speaking about. It's a, a kind of projection. So just like even in the black community, when you talk about your experience, white people do A, B and C. Well, we know it's not all white people that mm. do that. But actually, when you're having that conversation or when you're making that point, you're using a collective phrase. So I think, yeah, maybe we need to be a bit more aware about the language we're using when we're speaking about politicians, actually. Mm. But I don't always think when people are saying politicians are like A, B and C, there's a nuance in that that speaks to certain types of politicians yeah. rather than politicians collectively. Yeah. Because I criticise politics in general, but I'd say that I love Dawn Butler and I love, you know, my auntie. <laughs> <laughs> so I know, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's kind of yeah, like yeah. there are people in there that I really rate and I like what they're doing. Mm. But, you know, when we're talking about politicians collectively, mm. we're not talking about all of mm. them. But I think yeah. I, like I actually think the thing. question is great because it's clearly made us all think in mm. that yeah, yeah, it, it is that we're, we're maybe criticising politics and the red tape and, and the bureaucracy that we have to go through rather than the specific people, but because the speci specific people are being um, mouthpieces for that. Um, it's more the system, yeah. Yeah. yeah than the people. Right. It's more the system that doesn't yeah, work. That's a good point. And then that's <laughs> surely where the power of activism comes in because that's adding the human element to what people are really disconnected from in politics. Yeah. And so that's kind of like the middle the middle piece, right? The bridge. Yeah. I guess, yeah. I think whether you're a politician just to pick up you've mentioned the journey, like whether you're a politician, whether you're an activist, I think we need to be better at saying we're not getting this right, we're learning, mm -hmm. yeah. we want to do better, I got the I fucked this up, um, I've got it really wrong and I think um sorry I keep talking about Extinction Rebellion, it's just no, it's just been that's so fun. recent. <laughs> no, I mean I, I not even in I mean I can't take any credit for what I've done. I've just been part of this um movement. But uh you know, they have made a lot of mistakes and now they're just a year old. We've all heard of them. They've done amazing things, but now they're suddenly become self-conscious. They've had a lot of criticism. A lot of it's very, very justified. And suddenly they're thinking, right, we need to change. We need to adapt. And a lot of that has been about pr privilege and lack of uh, racial diversity. 
and the way that they speak about arrest. So, um, you know, making light of arrest or, you know, the one of the co-founders has described it as, you know, really not that bad or fun or the police are nice to me and that's not true for everyone. And it impacts certain demographics very differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I speak for myself, even six months ago, I wasn't really thinking about that stuff. And I, in the past six months, mainly through activists we talked about before, I'm so grateful that I have been told, been criticised, and, and we've learned and we've got better. And now I, I think about it completely differently. But we need to allow that space for each other. We are all learning all the time. And I, I hate to think in six months or a year what I'll be cringing about what I said here tonight. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. But we're all on a journey and there's that space. Yeah. Yeah. There's a point that you said that I absolutely love. Getting involved in campaigning, activism, all of that. You need to remember you are never above learning and criticism. Mm. Never. Yeah. You have never got it 100% right. You need to remove your ego from all of that. That is a journey and a process. And I feel like a lot of people forget that. And I think it's a fantastic point. Mm. How, how do you, how do you, you challenge yourself out of interest? Like what, what like helps yeah. put a mirror to... to do you know do what? You? I, a lot of my friends are very challenging. And because yeah. I have an online... <laughs> <laughs> they are, but like, I, for me, that's amazing. Like people yeah. will be like, Richie, you're chatting shit. Have you ever thought about this? Or that doesn't make sense. Have you thought about mm-hmm. that? And it's knowing that that comes from a place of love. And if it happens online, even if I don't like the delivery sometimes, I'm like, rah, you know what? That's a good point. You know, like the point that was made around, you know, bollocking politicians, you know, that made me think. I thought, mm-hmm. actually, I'm sitting here, I'm cussing politicians, <laughs> but let's be real. Like there are people out there that I rate and there are politicians that are doing a lot for the community. So it's about being open enough to receive that. and know that's not a personal attack. If you've got a platform where you're involved in raising a voice, you have a responsibility to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. You can't just be the same person, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I think that that permission and with the, with the um, attached responsibility as well, uh, you know, so it's not just letting people go out and say what they want and do what they want without any kind of um, responsibility, but giving people permission to be at whatever point they're in. That actually opens up what activism can look like, mm. because for a lot of people who don't feel like they have a platform and they don't feel like they have a community, they do. But it will just not necessarily look like the ones that they're seeing portrayed online or wherever else they're looking. And actually to be able to find something really small and not let the, it's kind of, it's still the ego thing, but not let their self-doubt or thinking that they're not good enough to do something or what, or that their, their voice or their mouthpiece isn't valid. Actually giving them permission to just be where they are and start there mm. and move on from there. How much of how much do you need to know to get started or can anyone just start where they are? I don't, I don't, I don't think, it's very hard because there's a, I think I, there's this, there's this conversation about choosing to, to get started and like I always, whenever we talk about stuff, I always say like, what what the thing that you care about is it comes from either like your life or your experience or your story in some way like it has to come from you because if it doesn't come from you a you run out of steam very very quickly if i'm looking around for things to change and i go i want to change that then i'll just uh, six months in i'll go i don't care anymore yeah and it's also not like i really care about like stopping fgm i'll let nim Corelli do that because she's been through it she gets it more than anyone right she's Mm -hmm. best place to solve that Mm -hmm. i'll support i'll cheer her on that's not my story so i think like when you when you're starting it's about taking something that you understand more than other people like with the upscale thing I was best place to deal with that I understood the culture and what it felt like and what it was like more than anyone else like everyone on this panel is sitting talking about coming from starting this work because it came from experience so it's about looking in your life and going okay what do I care about what's happening to my family what's happening what's happened to me before where have I learned the most where have I felt most uncomfortable all these kind of things and then 
you know, it's sending an email, it's it's reading about it, it's the small things because it's just like a muscle, isn't it? Right? You just take something you care about, and then you think about your skills, you put them on top of it, and you just kind of build a muscle. Mm. But I think looking into your yourself and your life is where it starts from. It doesn't come from looking outside and picking something. It's a, good point. it's a really good point, and I'm I'm trying to think of people that might be listening to this, and they don't necessarily have that one thing that really stands out for them, and they do want to help create change. How can you? support the people that do have that lived experience or are starting to uh, work towards changing things that you want to support but don't necessarily have that lived experience of it's a very good point because i think everyone thinks they have to be like the movement themselves and they don't Mm -hmm. activism is about people and community it's about joining being part of a charity if you've got money put your money in if you've got time put your time in. if you've got neither just look after your mental health and be a better person like it you know it's about like put what is true though like yeah. people don't have money or time and they're struggling with things so just look after yourself we need more good people who care about people right mm. so it's where do you have that kind of um resource and, and deciding where you put it and that can be volunteering it can be charity work it can be the council partnership where you get partnered with an old person you go around two times a week and give someone some friendship it can be a small thing but it's time or money or you know both or neither i guess it's finding your yeah i agree 100 percent, and it's finding your space in the process Mm -hmm. so knowing what your role is like an organization everybody isn't doing the same thing in an organization to make it tick and sometimes getting involved in activism is supporting the people on the front line yeah Mm -hmm. and i do that a lot i'm there's things that i'm not out here doing but people that i know are doing A, B, and C, I will support them in any way that I can. Mm. And sometimes that's, right, that looks like a really hard week. Let's go and have a coffee on Friday and mm. talk about how you felt. Mm. You know, that's activism. Mm. You're holding somebody, Yeah. you know? And we can't overlook the importance of holding people emotionally and supporting people in varying different ways. So activism or getting involved in this isn't always about being on the front line. Sometimes it's making the sandwiches. Sometimes it's tying up people's shoelaces. Sure. Sometimes it's, oh, will you come and speak on this panel? Oh, yeah, I'm not qualified to do that, but go and speak to that person yeah. Yeah. because they know what they're talking about. Yeah. So it's finding your space in that process yeah. and the space isn't always the front line. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's doing, you know, the things behind the scenes. I yeah, think particularly different. online, don't underestimate the, the difference sliding into someone's DMs who's been on the receiving end of, of hate, like offering that sort of support and saying, look, I've seen what's, what's going on, I think it's okay, or, you know, praising them or a kind comment actually that makes such a big difference uh, mm. uh, particularly to people who are trying to to change things but receiving backlash online yeah We've, there's i've got so many questions but i want to i want to <laughs> come to the audience because we've got a few there's a question here hi um so as well as outrage being um leading to action i think we can't underestimate the importance of optimism and optimism kind of being an antidote to that fear and paralysis that we were talking about earlier I think a huge problem is the system that we're brought into which teaches us to be fearful to be competitive and that there is no alternative when actually we should be teaching people to think creatively to imagine and that's just not what's happening um so I wondered whether optimism was important to you and (laughs) I'm guessing yes my gene is nodding um yeah and what makes you optimistic yeah nice. can i can yeah I, please yeah, do. Yeah, 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 um i think it's massive because i think it, you can scare people into taking action but it often that action is quite small because they do something and it makes them feel better and then mm. they step away but i think if you can give people hope it's, it has far more long sustaining benefits if you can give people hope of an idea and I, I hate the idea that 
idealism is a bad thing. Like, you have to be realistic. This is true. You have to come from a space of understanding what the system you're in is and what the limitations are going to be. But I love, I am kind of an optimistic realist, I guess. Like, I am idealistic because if I don't have that to aim for, then where am I going? I'm not going to be upset about the fact that I want the world to be this way. I'm not going to be embarrassed about that fact. So I think optimism is massive and positivity is massive. And you have to positive reinforcement is really important accountability is equally as, as important but you know it's when you see those charity ads like you know in the 90s and 2000s which are kind of petered out now it's like poverty porn mm. and like then we create this kind of image of what certain demographics and communities are like when actually there's so much wonderful stuff that comes out of them. there's so much community there they're doing so many wonderful things right and if we showed that I would love to see that because I'd be like, what amazing people, I want to support them. Mm. So we need to have a conversation. I think you're absolutely right about positivity because I think it has long-sustaining benefits rather than fear does, definitely. Great. Does optimism, optimism play a part in anyone else's work? I wouldn't do any of this if I wasn't optimistic. Mm. Like in, I feel like in order to try and incite change, you have to be optimistic enough to believe that it will happen. Mm. Yeah. So optimism sometimes is the very, when I'm feeling shit, is the very thing that gets me up in the morning and gets me mm. out of bed. Mm. so definitely plays a part in my life mm. I yeah. think sorry go no you go no you go cute no you go okay um, I, same I think I agree with you Richie I think act, activists are by default optimistic because you think you can have an impact and certainly with environmentalism you know and I have so many days like this you know you revert into we are we're fucked anyway so why I'm not going to do anything about it and really that is a f- kind of a form of denial, you know, and, and that that is exile. Uh, talk about the five stages of grief, and one of them is denial, and that can be we're fucked anyway, or uh, someone's surely doing something about this, and actually they're not. And uh, you know, activism again is the the only thing that gives me hope. Um, yeah. You have to live like that. Mm. If you don't, if you're not, we all have to. Whether it's activism or it's your family or it's your job or yeah. whatever it is, if you're not living like things can be better, then what are we doing? Because they can, they it's always not that have easy, been. Though, is it? Sometimes because you, you get fed, you get fed, you see all the images of, of what's going wrong, you see all the images, or that the news is is ninety nine percent. This is all a disaster. Yeah. And so it's. I find it really hard to then look at that and be like, oh, everything's going to be mm. fine, or mm. like everything might be fine because. You don't necessarily know that. So then, how do you find that optimism in in through the media of um, pessimism? I've just got to look for it. Did it, you see yeah. that story that the ozone has started to repair itself? Yeah. Did anyone did, <laughs> did see that story? But you see what I mean? Yeah. That's a really po- <laughs> when it comes they're not, they're to not impo- <laughs> yeah. Like no. When it comes to environmental <laughs> activism, it's not about being complacent. But actually, the the ozone layer and the hole in the ozone layer was everywhere on the news. It was everywhere when it was yeah, happening yeah. and it, the fires were happening across Australia, etc. Oh, yeah. But the ozone layer started to repair itself and that is... That, that's yeah. op- that makes me want to keep going. Right? Yeah. I'm yeah. stuttering because I'm so excited. But <laughs> no, on a serious level, that just goes to show when people put their minds behind something, you can change the literal world. It's about yeah. the physical world here. <laughs> yeah. Not this kind of world that's out there and inside yourself. You know that? Yeah. <laughs> it's important. Physical but this world. is the physical world. The ozone layer is yeah. starting to repair itself yeah, yeah. because we were active enough to do something about it. Mm. So sometimes you need to look for those stories. And when you find them, please share them with other oh, people. Oh, yeah. Put them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like social you. media, yeah. social media, you can yeah. curate that. Like we follow, you, you choose who you follow. Like if you follow people and you're like, oh, it makes me feel crap. It's like going to a gallery and standing in front of a painting and being like, I hate it yeah. and staying there. Yeah. 
You're like, well, choose to follow lots of people. Uh, pushing things under a rug that we're not, we're not, don't want to see. Yeah, but that's all of our responsibility, decision. isn't it? And, yeah. and actually, I, the, the things that are optimistic or positive that make me feel good, that you're following people who are activists, that is positive in itself. But they're going to show you difficult conversations. You're going to learn from them. Mm. You have to be an adult enough to go, I need to read stuff I'm going to learn from that's going to be difficult. But I also know that for my head, I need to see things that are good and going to keep me going. Mm. That's on all of us yeah, to curate sure. that space where we feel like we can get up in the morning and do something. Because mm. we spend, what, four hours on our phone? Mm. <laughs> and Alex, you're not <laughs> So Gina and I are part of this program with Bill and Melinda Gates called uh, Goalkeepers and it's about the sustainable development goals and the 2030 targets and Bill and Melinda often talk about how actually a lot of progress has been made around health, around defeating extreme poverty, I mean that gap is getting smaller and smaller and they, I, I think there's something really powerful about actually realising and telling that story more because then you think actually we can make a difference and, it, and it's worth putting more energy in um, but you don't necessarily hear those stories and and uh, yeah again it's, it's a shame that media doesn't do that but maybe all of us could be more open to sharing some of those stories mm. and some of those facts because that provides a lot of hope I think and mm. lots of optimism. Can I tell you about one really cool scheme that gives me hope? Please. It's called the Great Green Wall and it's in Africa and it's a a great, literally, a, I'm going to describe this so badly, but please look it up when you get back, and it's really amazing. It's a physical green belt of vegetation and rewilding. So they're planting a crazy number of trees from East to West Africa, Djibouti to, I can't remember which country in West Africa. And it's to physically stop drought from spreading. Oh, yeah. And they've already planted crazy number of trees there was one day recently where ethiopia planted 12 million trees there's such amazing activism happening in like overnight it was wow. like in one it was unbelievable and there are incredibly positive stories um so you just have to look for them but also you know look to activists who don't look like you and learn from them and take that criticism so it's, as you say it's a balance of the the both mm-hmm. well i think we have time for one more question probably what time is it yeah one more question yes. Yeah, I wanted to ask your thoughts, I guess, on um, voluntourism. Because um, I guess there are probably a lot of people out there who are like, oh, I, I want to help. Um, but obviously a lot of volunteering opportunities can be really harmful. Um, so how? what's the kind of best way, you think, to educate people about what is helpful, what is harmful, um, and to try and yeah, reduce the amount of harm, I guess, in, in helping? particularly if you're doing it because you think it would look great on your social media perhaps that's the problem don't do it yeah um but yeah because i think i think sadly a lot of people think oh this would make a great photo or this would make a great story mm. uh and, and i'm most the sort of people that quietly um and, and impactfully you know change, change things but uh, maybe some of the other panel can speak particularly to yeah um, <laughs> we were all looking at you just then I'd say two basic rules are don't go and go abroad do a volunteering thing and take a photo with a child from the global south or wherever you're going to volunteer and the other is I would just orphanages tend to be like a terrible place to volunteer because you're going for two weeks the children get attached to you I think that's like a blanket mm. rule um Having said that, I have been part of Help Refugees, which is an unbelievable grassroots movement that spread across Europe and that was volunteers uh, turning up, working in warehouses, helping to distribute food. So I, I'm, you know, I don't want to totally discredit what can often be unbelievable, unbelievably important volunteering. But I, yeah, I hope that wouldn't fall into the volunteer tourism category. There's two, just two points I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And the first one was the fact that, you know, it's not that far away, but you went to Calais. You know, and you help the people there. 
And just because it's not thousands of miles away, you made a massive impact in another country, mm. you know, and that really inspired you to do the things you were doing. And I think that's amazing. I, I think there's two sides to it. And it's understanding your reason for being there mm. and what's the intent behind your behavior. And actually, are you qualified to be in the space that you're in? Because poor people in other countries aren't experiments. They're people, yeah. 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 you know? And if you are not qualified and trained in delivering whatever you're delivering in that country, you're doing more harm than good. On the flip side of that, my cousin is a, a really successful doctor. So kind of oversees a hospital in America and goes to Haiti once a year to provide medical care mm. with trained nurses and trained doctors. So there's space for that. There's space to go into other countries. But actually, I wouldn't want an untrained person going into a school and teaching my child no. or my child has got some sort of health issue and somebody who has no understanding of the medical field treating my child. I don't want that mm. because that's dangerous, mm. you know? So it's understanding the intent mm. and figuring out the reasons why you're going to that country and questioning yourself, am I doing the right thing? Because your example of going to Calais is a perfect example of doing it in a great way yeah. and making a change. But it's about what, What's the intent behind your behavior? And am, am I, I the right hard? person to do it? Yeah. Yeah. Am I the right exactly. There might be another organization that's better placed and yeah, therefore, exactly. yes. instead of spending money on your flights or travel accommodation, just give money to them. Mm. They're already on the ground. Mm. They could probably you know, do a better job. Uh, and I think that's something that the, the charities, we're, we're quite conscious of that young people are best placed to bring about change in their schools. Mm. It's not about us going in there. It's about empowering them so they can shape attitudes and change behaviors. And, and that's a really important part of our model. Mm. So I guess, we are going to yeah. come to the last question, oh. but one, before we get to that, there's one thing left unsaid is that you said you don't identify as an activist. Yeah. And I want to find out why that is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, what on earth do you write in your bio? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what, it's, I don't feel like it's something that I should identify as per, per, for me. So again, that's not sending for anybody. This is for me personally. I don't feel like it's something that I can personally identify as because my work speaks for itself. So if I do something and it makes a change and it helps people, and if people want to call me an activist as a result, great, I'm happy to accept it. But for me, like there, I don't know, I, I, I watch other people and they're out there and they're dedicating their whole, I have a day job, I do this, I do that, I do lots of other things. There are people who look at a course and they dedicate their whole lives to it. That is completely what they're focused on. And I just, for me, like, I'm waffling, you know. No, I am. Not, but even like with... It's a hard question. I give, you, I give you an example, right? I'm, some, I'm a man, cisgendered man, who aligns myself with feminism. I will never call myself a feminist because I just don't think... It, me as a man, I shouldn't be calling my... A man can call himself one. I don't want to control people. But for me, I don't think as a man, I should be labelling myself something like that. If a woman says to me, oh, you know, what you do really aligns itself with feminism or I see you as a feminist, fine. That's your space to identify me however you please. But for me, the work should always speak for itself. Because as soon as some people run around calling themselves activists, it no longer becomes about the work they're doing and it starts to become about their public profile and their persona. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for me, I want people to say, I really like that piece of activism you did or I really liked that change that you made or I really liked what you had to say. That label for me doesn't mean anything. And I'd prefer to step away from it because it's a huge responsibility. And sometimes I'm a wanker. So, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I'm making a joke, but like for yeah, real, yeah, sometimes yeah. I'm a wanker and then people are like, you're an activist and so you should be doing A, B and C. Well, I'm not. I'm just someone who cares about shit and gets involved in things. You don't have to be an activist to get involved with activism. You don't. I'm removing yeah. activists from my bio. <laughs> no, no. But, <laughs> do you know what? Literally, literally, like, it's, 
<laughs> see, you're so right though, because this is how I felt. Because the last year from the law show, now it's like I'm an activist and writer. I didn't choose that, but you, like I said to you upstairs, like you can't put on your bike on your like event thing, like someone who like pisses people off enough that they then change something. That's not a job. And like I just pissed off politicians for a long time. So like now I'm like, why do I call myself an activist? Because it's just easier for media. But like I don't know what is my job. I don't know what my job is. But really. It works, but that's the thing. It works for you. The yeah, but it's a lot of pressure. You're right. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and I don't particularly like it. It's not. It's fine when people call you it, but I don't want to say it. Yeah, it don't, I from this you. side, it's weird. Well, it's, I think this brings us on to our last question. Which is bit. now making me try and reframe the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm... <laughs> We've, I mean, it's written on. It's written on. It's the title of the event. It's written everywhere. We can't change it now. It's fine. Um, so our final question of the evening is: Can anyone be an activist? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great. That's the end. We cool. said. We, we, did, <laughs> we said if you asked us at the beginning, the whole thing would be like, yeah, and then we'd all go home. Yeah. You all can be if you want to be. Can and should everyone be an activist? Oh. Uh, no, I disagree. <laughs> yeah, I think anyone can, not everyone should. No, everyone should be. I think, yeah, yeah it's it's like we said, it's privilege. Like, I got to choose to be an activist because like, mm. it fit into my life. I can choose to fight for things if I want to. Uh, I think we can't expect everyone to fight for things all the time. People are living their lives and people's lives are hard and some people don't want to be. Some people just want to have a quiet life and that's fine. But if you really care about things, if it's natural to you, if you're passionate then go out and change something. If it comes naturally to you, do it. Yeah. And sometimes people are just out here surviving yeah, and yeah. Be, getting involved in activism is, you know, you spoke about, spoke about privilege. Being involved in activism isn't the priority. I'm just trying to feed my kids and mm, live. Yeah. Or I'm trying to live through the hand that the, the world or life threw me. Mm. Great. That is a wonderful place yeah. to end. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much to each um, of you. Thank you all for coming. It was a big round of applause for our panellists. <laughs> so much for listening if you enjoyed the episode then you can like it rate it review it share it with your friends and if you want to get in touch we're at can we just ask on social media we'll see you next time